0: Welcome to Banmaskachai, your friendly neighborhood weekly podcast of short stories written by me, Arun Matthew. On today's podcast, we will join on an exciting journey with Jennifer. Jennifer, who is an orphan and lives in the United States, set sail to India to find her religious roots, to find herself probably. And today, i have invited a very special person my sister my 3 am friend my rock with whom i can talk about anything the good the bad the ugly her name is rachel she is a mother of two and she is a phenomenal baker do follow her on instagram as well so please keep aside 10 15 minutes where Rachel will take you along the journey that Jennifer took on this story called The Castaways.
1: Connecticut, USA My name is Jennifer. I am an Indian girl, adopted by by American parents. I turned 18 last week, and my rich yet humble parents spared no expense in telling their little world that their daughter has come of age and ready to face the world. I had turned out all right thus far no drugs, no serious relationship issues, no vices to throw me off balance. I guess I'm the a typical Indian origin American teen with no socio-economic hang-ups that often engulf the life of most of my cohorts. I am blessed with Peter and Mary in my life. They are parents any child in an orphanage could only dream of or could trade in and make a deal with the devil to sacrifice every other happiness in exchange for these two however three weeks before this big bash something began brewing my mind a storm was coming this was triggered by the barrage of violence filtering from social media pictures of communal riots strange men and women proclaiming themselves to be the messengers of God refugees fleeing their homes in search of new ones Closeted folks coming out and breathing in the air of freedom within the walls of Facebook Queer I thought their choice of war Not just the homosexuals, but also those self-proclaimed prophets Homeless refugees and the punditry of religion These people were fighting inconsequential battles moving on from one vortex to the next At least, that's what the 18-year-old mind of mine could fathom and absorb. As I read articles and posts coming from my motherland, I couldn't erase the lingering topic of religion that seemed to permeate through all these posts. That's when it struck me. Being an orphan, I had no idea which religion I was born into. I was adopted and raised by Christian parents. But I was more inclined to believe that it is the birth parents who set up the religious path for their offsprings. Some stick to this path, some choose another. I had never faced this conundrum up until this week. Turning 18 isn't all about newfound independence and legalities, but also a time to reflect on new responsibilities to shoulder career, family, hobbies, and now a religion. The day after the birthday, I told Peter and Mary of my decision to go to India. I want to explore my birthplace, take a road trip, be a vagabond for a month before I start chasing my dreams back in the US. I couldn't find the heart to tell them the real purpose of my trip. New Delhi, India. A chance meeting with my pen pal at the Connaught place led me to the discovery of Mike's bike tours. MBT was amongst the first revolutionary tour and travel firm that took the riders on a cross-country trip, travelling through the offbeat yet pristine locales and the company of like-minded, adventurous people. The next day, Mika, aka Mike, was ready with his battalion. A convoy of royal infields, leather jackets, travel accessories were kept ready for the biking team. Each had their agenda for this ride. Some came for closure, some for self discovery. Till now, religion wasn't the subject of any discussions or small fights that came our way. I wondered if there was any semblance of religion being the concoction for violence and hatred as was abysmally portrayed by the media i was in search for my religious roots but my intentions ran deeper i had plans to track down my birth parents i intended to visit the orphanage where i was put up and learn about these people i needed an ally for this task. Having understood the psyche of each member on the bike trip, I zeroed down on Sanansha, a travel reporter. Our last stop to come 13 days later was Mumbai. It took me three days and countless stops to get Sana on my side. I told her of my origins, my life in the States And the reason for me travelling down to India, honesty helps indeed. Sana was around 25, well travelled and well educated. She had done good for herself and this trip was her redemption. She had lost her job as a part of a corporate downsizing. Some would say it was targeted downsizing, meant to remove newcomers, women in particular. Keep the men suited, was the mantra, as she vociferously put it. We need to know better the authorities of ashraya Anathale and understand how they function, said Sana. She was a tigress at fact-finding. Journalism was in her DNA. She started placing calls to her friends and colleagues who were in Mumbai and asked them to do the legwork for us. Thirteen Days Later Mumbai We agreed to meet up at Leopold's Cafe, the enigmatic gatekeeper of all things right and wrong within Mumbai. What better place than this, I told Sana. This same cafe embodies the true spirit of the city, said Sana. She was two beers down, I was none. I was too excited and unusually outlandish to see how this pans out. That was my high. The orphanage was in Thane and had been there for over 30 years. Sana had found out that the authorities change every 5 years as a part of the policy. This exercise was to avoid any undue promises and control. The employees or the management could have or make to prospective parents. We got an appointment with the managing director, a one Mr. Partho, a well-dressed man, tall and athletic. He was punctual. Sir, we are here to see if we can take up the records and find out who my parents are. I boldly opened up and went straight to the purpose of the visit. Sir, we have all the documents related to her adoption that was prepared between the Anathale and her foster parents, Mr. Peter and Mrs. Mary Smith, Sana said, placing the photocopies of the documents. Partho took a long look at the documents and said, I will have these documents inspected for their validity and records. We usually need at least two days to give you any feedback. We were elated. This was smooth and faster than we expected. Arto made a quick exit and left for his office. Girl, that was a good start, Sana said. These things take weeks, but I think they are well-oiled unit. We should hear the news soon and then you can know about your parents, your religion and any other shit you wanted to find out. I still wonder why you want to stir the hornet's nest have a good thing going in the States. Sana wasn't amongst those who hide their thoughts. I was very close to the truth and that made me somewhat uncomfortable. I suspected my intentions and whether I was doing a grave injustice to Peter and Mary. They had given me a life and here I was turning away from them and seeking to know those who threw me away We spent the next two days exploring the city, checking out men in as subtle ways as possible, living the nightlife that Mumbai had to offer and indulging in street food. I was at the crescendo of my trip. Only a few hours separated me from my quest. I am sorry to inform you that we don't have any records of your birth parents in our system. Fifteen years back, we had a fire in our record department and after that, we started digitizing the records, Parto said with a poker face. Sana and I were furious. But there has to be some way that we could track down. Probably second copies of records that are kept somewhere else? Maybe the records that are shared with the social welfare societies?" said Sana. She wasn't going to give up, neither was I. Verily, we left the orphanage as all we were doing was ramming into a stone wall. Maybe for once I was being shown the underbelly of India. Without looping me in, the inquisitive Sana had planned something else. She took upon herself and found out the whereabouts of one kid who was adopted 13 years back. Only an hour before meeting the parents, she told me of this plan. It was daring. It was smart. She asked the parents to meet Mr. partho and asked for the records of the birth parents of their adopted son. Um, the meeting was set for three days later at the orphanage. We escorted the couple till the alley leading to the Orphanage and waited at the local delicatessen for them to come back with the much-needed information. Sorry, girls, we tried, but Mr. Parthu said that their digital system had a virus attack five years back and deleted all their records. Since all the records are stored digitally, they don't have any paper documents to support the cause, said Mr. Sharma. Shell-shocked as we were We were also mystified. A sense of falsehood overshadowed the situation. Sana was pumping with adrenaline. I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do. We hatched a plan to find the truth ourselves. Sana knew a private detective who agreed to help us. We didn't want to raise any suspicions by walking in and meeting Partho again to ask for some proof. We thought Breaking in and obtaining the proof ourselves was a better idea. The orphanage was split into two buildings, one with rooms for children and other was an office building. The latter supposedly housed all the documents or computers. Oddly, both buildings had a common security guard who would do rounds every hour. That gave us a window of less than 55 minutes to break in find what we needed, secure the information and exit the periphery before the guard returned to station himself at the office check post. I was trembling with fear. Sana was stoic and Kevin, the detective, was calm. We had surveyed the compound the previous night and decided... That 10pm was the ideal time to get in. The guard finishes his dinner at the office checkpost and moves to the kids' building for the next one hour and seemed to be sluggish, courtesy their dinner. I was the one to keep the eye on the security guard while Sana and Kevin do their journalistic and detective work respectively. The plan started smooth as the overfed guard left the building station at sharp 10pm. We climbed over the ledge and made our way into the compounds. Stay here and give us a single bus on the mobile phone if you see him within 200 meters. Saying so, Kevin and Sana left. 40 minutes passed, but there was no sign of them. I was panting as sweat trickled down my face. I had Sana's number ready to dial. Suddenly, I saw a distant figure coming towards the building. I almost gave a squeak. He walked towards the building for half a furlong and suddenly took a detour and walked towards the toilet. I decided I would call Sana as soon as he comes out or in the next 30 seconds, whichever earlier. I started a mental countdown of the seconds passing by. I observed him carefully as he walked to the door. I knew that time was running out but suppressed the urge to check my watch. I took a deep breath and started counting in reverse under my breath. Ten, nine, eight, seven. As soon as I reached the end of my countdown, I called Sana, left a single bus and rushed out to the rendezvous point on the far end of the compound. Phew, that was close, Kevin said. I waited for them impatiently to grasp their breath and tell me the outcome. Sana and Kevin looked very disturbed. We checked in at Cafe Coffee Day near the main city centre and Sana started recounting the happenings of the past hour. We initially thought there would be stacks of records, files, computers, all indexed per year, said Sana. This is what is expected legally by the government when allowing orphanages to run, said Kevin. But we were rather greeted by hordes of cupboards that indeed had files, but indexed per state. Bengal, Orissa, Arunachal Pradesh, Manipur, Tripura, Bihar, you name it, they had it, said Sana. But why would they do so? I was inquisitive and eager to know more. We opened a few files and found countless pictures of women and their handlers. It included the year of pregnancy, the cost paid, transit and delivery details and so forth," said Kevin. This means that it's quite likely that most kids here were trafficked in, I said, trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. I think it goes beyond that, said Sana. How do you mean? I asked. Last year, I was closely following up a few isolated cases where helpless women in the northeastern states were being impregnated and paid when the delivery was done. The newborns, they were shipped off to unknown destinations. We met a few such women. But they chose not to divulge as this was an earning for them and kept them away from prostitution for every birth that would keep them and their families afloat for a couple of years. When the money rise up, they go through another pregnancy, said Sana. This information was turning out much more than what we had set out for. We had stumbled upon a unique human trafficking business and nexus and was silently operating for years now by the orphanages no doubt they don't share any records because they don't have any legal parentage documents I said as the coffee mugs emptied we decided to bring down this business we decided to go big go national and that sums up the book reading session we thank Aisha Mukherjee for taking the time out and come to this book launch and reading the first few pages of her book The Castaways said Asta Krishnan the chief editor at Paramount Books Make sure you get your copies and read further to know how Jennifer and her friends cracked down the biggest human trafficking business in Northeast India and how far Jennifer's quest for her background and religion takes her springing a surprise at every step of the way. The author Aisha Mukherjee will take your questions now, one by one.